Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. So yes, my husband and I, we're pastors of Generation City, and we absolutely love it. We are a community-focused church where we gather together and we passionately worship and we pursue the presence of God and unpack His Word on Sunday. But come Monday, we roll up our sleeves and we get to work. We feed the poor, we visit those on the streets, we help those who are homeless, we visit those who are in prison, and we love what we do and the impact that we're having on our community across Perth. Our pastoring is simply an extension of what we've been doing for about 21 years across our schools in WA, bringing a just say no to drugs message to students. We work with families to bring intervention strategies to help them. And for 14 years, we've been working in the WA women's prisons to help those women find a second chance at life. I've recently started my my master's in criminology. And there is a quote that says, find something which you love to do and you'll never work another day in your life. So Pastor Tristan and I count it a privilege that we have locked into God's plan and purpose, that we keep walking in step with the Holy Spirit and we feel like we've only just got started at what He wants to do in and through our lives. You know, my passion to help others is not done out of duty. It's not done out of a career and it's not done out of my own human effort, but it's done out of a heart which has been touched by the grace of God. In 1999, I was a heroin addict. I was 21 years of age. I was on the methadone program. I used to wake up every morning and I used to think to myself, how the hell am I going to get hundreds of dollars worth of money today to support my next drug hit? I would break the law, I would hurt my family, and I would do everything just to get high. I had a boyfriend who was also a drug addict and he used to hit me and push me around And by this picture and by this time in my life, my mum and dad didn't know what to do with me anymore and they used to think, maybe if we just ignore the problem, maybe the problem's just going to go away. But the problem only got worse and soon after this picture, I was charged by the police. And I came to a crossroads where I had to make some very serious choices for my life. And I thank God every day that I was given the opportunity to go into rehabilitation where I actually found Jesus on my road of recovery when I gave my heart to Him. I knew that it was my last chance at getting my life back together. And I said to Him in those very desperate times, God, if you give me my life back, I will give my life back to you and I will do with it whatever you ask me to do. And I've never gone back on that word. So that's the journey that I want to take you on tonight. But I don't have you for a long period of time. And by the end of my presentation and my preaching, you'll understand that I could talk all night. So I have a couple of books and you might like to get them afterwards. My first book is my story and it's called Golden Haze. Perhaps someone in your world needs a little bit of encouragement or a a hope for a second chance. Um, They can read my testimony and I really pray that it would minister to them. 
and my second book is titled Under Your Influence, Parenting Teenagers into a Drug and Alcohol Problem-Free Life. I wrote this book when my children were, my girls were two and three. They're 15 and nearly 17, and this actually works. It's actually not too bad. <laughs> I must say so myself. So I want to talk to us tonight about our stories. You know, our testimonies and our stories of faith, of what Jesus has done, become very powerful tools. Because when we bring our stories about what Jesus has done in our lives into a room full of believers like this, and we begin to say what he has done in our lives, our faith levels go from here up to here. But our stories of what Jesus has done and our testimonies of faith also show those who don't yet believe that Jesus is still alive. He is active, He is relevant, He is real, and He is ready to help you in your time of need. You see, I was reminded of my story about 14 years ago. And at the time, I was married and I had two young daughters and I was going about my day when I took a phone call that was about to interrupt my life. And as I picked up the phone, on the other end of the, the line was a lady asking for Jade Lewis. And I said, well, it's Jade Lewis here. And she said, well, who are you? And I said, well, who are you? And she said, well, I'm a volunteer who goes into our state maximum security women's prison. She said, some of those women have been reading your book. And I'm wondering, would you give up a Saturday morning and come and meet some of those women and share your story? And as I watched my two young girls wiping Vegemite up and down my lounge room wall, I answered very firmly, thank you, but no thank you. I said, it's not a very convenient time in my life at the moment. I'm newly married. I've got two young girls under two. I said, so do you know what? Let's just leave it, but wish the women all the best and I hope they find their second chance. I went about my day. My husband came home. And as I began to tell him that the maximum security women's prison rang that day, he said to me, what did they ring for? I said, well, they wanted to know if I could go in and meet some of those women who have been reading my story. He said, no way, what did you say? I was like, no way, anywhere but the women's prison. <laughs> but then he began to sit, sit me down and began to challenge me. And he said, just remember when you were like these women, Considered in society like the least, the last, the lonely, the unlovely, where not many people wanted to associate themselves with you. Remember that time in your life and somebody stopped to inconvenience themselves to help you. You know, these are biblical issues. There are over 2,000 scriptures that call us to respond to the needs of the poor. And if the church became more biblical, everything around us would change. So my challenge came at that point. But you know, when I think about my life, it wasn't always about defeat. I grew up in a family where my parents are still together. And my dad was a big believer in talking to my sister and I about having a goal, about having a dream. And he would say, just find something which you love to do and try your best at it. So the thing which I used to love to do is I used to love to run. So I used to go off to school and daydream outside the window and picture myself standing up there on the number one podium taking a gold medal for my country. 
through my sport, I learned some of the very early disciplines in life. I started to learn that there is no such word as can't. It's don't want to. I started to understand that woulda, coulda, shoulda was a language of regret. And I also understood that the only place that success comes before work is in your dictionary. That if you want something, you have to work very hard to get it. So by the time I was 12, I won my first state medal for the 800 metres. And by the time I was 14, I was chosen to race in the state team going to Singapore. I was a 4, 8 and 1500 metre runner. And that year I won lots of awards for my sporting achievements. And then I turned 15. And because I kept my eye on my goal and where I was going at 15, I was chosen to race in the state team going to Malaysia. I went to Malaysia and won a medal also. But it was about 15 that my life took this 180 degree turn. And when I came back from Malaysia, little athletics had finished, which meant that I had to go up to senior athletics or go off and try another sport. But I made a decision at 15 because I was starting to feel the pressure of competing, of, of juggling schoolwork and assignments. And, and I really started to get into this mode that I used to think that coming second was like first last. So I was getting a lot of anxiety that unless I won or made a team. And, and I just said to my parents, do you know what? I just want to have a year off my sport. You know, giving up my sport wasn't the wrong thing to do if I was burnt out or bored. But giving up my sport began to highlight a major need in my life. That a lot of my identity up until that point in my life had been based on what I did. That I never really knew who I was. That I began this search of who am I? What is my purpose? And where do I belong? And we live in a world that unless you know who you are, there is a whole world out there waiting to tell you what you're not. And unfortunately, I started to drift towards a group at school that was going off to parties, drinking alcohol, smoking marijuana. Now, these weren't bad people, but the Bible is very clear that when the blind lead the blind, they both will fall into the ditch. So we were going to parties and we were searching in all the wrong places for fun and belonging and excitement. I started to go to rave parties, which led to taking LSD and ecstasy. And just before my 16th birthday, I met my first boyfriend. And he was a lot more streetwise than me. He had family who had been in and out of prison and he'd used drugs from a very young age. And it wasn't long before he came into my world and began to flatter me with all these empty words that never lined up with how he treated me. And then led me into a filthy old, dirty, run-down bathroom and pulled out a needle full of drugs and asked me if I wanted to use it. I was 15 years old when I lost my innocence to that world. Chapter two, I open up with this sentence. Nobody ever forced me to take drugs. I was so bold and so lost and so broken that I thought that I could open up that doorway and somehow find some answers. But by the time I was uh, in year 12, I dropped my TEE, I lost the high school captaincy, this boyfriend who said he loved me so much at 15 now started to hit me and push me around and call me names. And when your identity is based on what you do, when you're doing good, you feel really awesome about yourself. But when life starts to take a turn and you start to make bad choices, it's compounded and you feel even worse about yourself. 
So by the time I was 18, I started to use drugs now as an outside way to try and control what was going on on the inside. I became addicted to heroin, and I think it was probably around 18 that I began to lose my voice. You know, my parents got dragged into this, and this is the crazy thing, is the enemy will start with one in the family, and it might be set up with a trap of drugs, crime, and violence, but the enemy won't just stop at one. He'll try to envelop the whole family. So my parents got dragged into this. They didn't know what to do. My dad went out and found the boyfriend and dealers and beat them up and did everything he could to get them away from me. Didn't end very well. They came back to our house with big slabs of concrete cement and threw it through my parents' window. They got restraining orders and police protection. And my sister became so overwhelmed with what was going on in our family. And she didn't realise that there were people out there that could actually help her. You know, I'm really surprised when I think about her story that she would go off to school fighting a battle that no one knew about, yet deep down inside, she didn't know who she could talk to. She went to work and nobody noticed. I wonder in this room, who is it in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your family, that you're not looking at through your natural eyes, but through your spiritual eyes, that you start to pick up there's something just not quite okay with this person. Will we slow down enough as Christians and as the church to actually see past what we see on the exterior and actually ask people if they're okay? She became so overwhelmed that by the time she was 19, one of my friends in the drug scene gave her heroin for the first time and she became a drug addict as well. You know that John 10.10 says, the thief will come to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. So I'd lost this battle. I'd lost my voice. And what this means is that When we are actually working with broken people or people who are addicted to things, I want to give you a quick little education on what it means to actually get to the root cause of why somebody is doing what they're doing. If you've ever worked with someone who just keeps going back and keep relapsing, I'm going to help you understand to take some frustration out of your relationship. So when we're working with broken people, we need to see addiction, we can see gambling, we can see violence, whatever it is that's dysfunctional behaviour, let's call it some symptoms, some fruit. And over the years, it's been diagnosed and it's been labelled things like anxiety or mental health issues or, 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 or whatever it is. And while some of those diagnoses are correct, unless we go to the next layer, these fruits These symptoms will always grow back. And what this third layer is, is called unresolved, unrecognised trauma. And so for me, drugs became an outside way to try and control this trauma that was on the inside. Until I dealt with it, it didn't matter how many times my dad sent me off to a clinic or off on a holiday, this trauma was going to keep coming back and manifesting itself in all these ways. Anyone can change a behaviour, even a symptom temporarily, but unless, unless the system is changed, 
the symptom will always come back. I was 20, 21 when my mum finally came out and found me. She was so worried about me and what I was doing. She said to me, I just want you to come home. She said, break up with this boyfriend and just come home. And so I moved back to my parents' house. I got a restraining order. And we were in frozen mode. No one knew what to do. But it was on Mother's Day that year that the police decided they were going to turn up and eventually I was charged. I ended up in court and as I stood in the courtroom, there was a time that I began to cry out to God. You know, there is something in every human heart and I can sense it here tonight that when we are in desperation and when we really need something, there's something innate inside every single one of us that will cry out to God, oh my God, can you help me? Whether you've received Christ or not, there's something in our heart that will cry out to our Creator and say, God, will you help me? In the courtroom was my God, if you're real, can you help me? And I began to remember there were three key people who had come into my broken life and they flashed before my eyes as I stood in the courtroom that day. And the first one was my social worker. My social worker who I used to have to sit with for one hour once a week and talk about my problems. God bless social workers. <laughs> but there was something about this social worker that was different than any other one. And it wasn't until years later when my story went public that she tracked me down and phoned me up and said, I, can, I always knew that you would make it. And I said, well, you wouldn't believe it. I said, I'm a born again Christian. She said, I knew it. She said, I am too. She said, I was never allowed to tell you about my faith. I was never allowed to openly pray for you or even share the Bible with you. But I want you to know that every time I would leave that office, I would pray for you. I would get with the ladies from my church. Amen. And we would stand in the gap and we would stand on the word that says, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Do we have anyone in here that believes in the power of prayer? Ezekiel 22 says, can I find someone who will stand in the gap? Stand in the gap for the city. Stand in the gap for the homeless. Stand in the gap for the prostitute. Stand in the gap for those that don't have anywhere to belong. She stood in the gap for me. You know, this social worker was not limited by her government title and she wasn't restricted and overwhelmed that she couldn't share Jesus openly. But she stood on the scripture and the power of God that said if she believes in, in, in her prayers and that she stands in the gap and the prayers of the righteous will availeth much. This woman is Acts 2 at its best to go and preach the gospel without sharing a word. You know, sometimes your life is the only Bible that someone reads. What does your life, what does your witness say about you? People shouldn't just come to meet us. They should come to meet the Jesus in us. The second one was a co-worker. 
She used to follow me down to my office all the time and, and she would say, uh, I just want to tell you uh, something. She goes, but first, can I just ask, are you on drugs? And I used to hate it when she'd ask me that. So uh, she'd say, I just want to tell you my story. She said, I used to be a drug addict. And she said, I went to church one day to pick up a food hamper. When I walked in, there was someone up the front telling people about Jesus. She said, that day I went up the front and I gave my heart to Jesus. And I said, will you forgive me for everything that I have done? She said, the weight of addiction broke off my life. She said, I stood up and I walked away. I got planted in my local church. I went to Bible study. I actually run a home group now. And this Wednesday, we are running a home group. We sing songs to Jesus. We read the Bible. We play a bit of Scrabble. And then we have some hot chocolate and some Tim Tams. And this week is Bring a Friend Week. Do you want to be my friend? I said, not really. You know, she wasn't moved by my rejection. My feedback to her was more a reflection on where I was at, not on her. Never give up inviting that person to church. Never give up inviting that person to your connect group. Always extend that invitation and share your story. Because whose voice do you think I used to hear in my head at three, four o'clock in the morning when I couldn't get on drugs? Then this girl who would say, if God can do it for me, do you know he can do it for you? And then the third one was a guy I used to catch a bus with. And he used to invite me to church. And even though I never went, he showed me that church was still relevant for people our age. So I'm standing in the courtroom. And if there was a time I needed the grace of God, it was then. And the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Because how could I call upon the name of Jesus unless I'd heard? Now, I had heard and the Holy Spirit brought it back to remembrance when I stood in that courtroom and the magistrate said to me, well, you can go away to rehab, but unless I, if I see you back up here in Perth again, there are no more chances for you. You know, Jesus didn't say to the poor, come find the church, but he says to us in the church, go into the world and find the poor, find the hungry, find the homeless, find the imprisoned and help them. So I ended up in a program called Teen Challenge in Esperance. My dad took me down there after I did two weeks cold turkey detox. And as he flew me down to this program and handed me over to these workers, my dad didn't know that this program was going to help me. But as a father, there was nothing more that he felt he could do. He pushed me away and he said, remember this. He said, you didn't get this problem overnight and you're not going to lose it overnight. And then he finished with these words, based on Teen Challenge's 86% success rate, and don't be one of the 14%. <laughs> so negative, right? And just for the record, my mum said to me, and I hope you have two like yourself. And I had two daughters straight up. <laughs> and they're like me now, amen. So I arrive at Teen Challenge and, and, and as I arrive, I, I'm driving down this driveway and I'm starting to realise that adversity comes in many different forms. You know, adversity comes in brokenness, it comes in divorce, it comes in sickness, it comes in poverty. Mine was in addiction, 
But I learned this about adversity, that adversity does not make you a failure. If you're facing adversity in this room today, it does not make you a failure. The only time you will fail is when you fail to get up and have another go. The only time you fail is when you quit. Quitters never win and winners never quit. Have we got a room of winners in here? I think we do. And the words from my childhood, there's no such word as can't. Woulda, coulda, shoulda is the language of regret. And the only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary began to flash across my mind. I was in the fight of my life. And you know, the smartest thing you can do when you're going through a crisis is find someone that's overcome what you're trying to and ask them how they did it. I saw so many people that would testify of God's goodness. But I realized this, that I couldn't live off everyone else's encounter. I couldn't just keep being a spectator and watch everyone enjoy the presence of God and want what they've got. But I had to position myself, which we're going to do in just a moment together, and say, God, if you are real, I want my own encounter. I want you to come into my heart. I want to give you the reins of my life. I want you to forgive me because this guilt stick that I keep beating myself up with is just too much that I can't forgive myself. Will you forgive me, God? And will you give me a second chance? And there was a presence that came into my life that day that I knew that God was real because I suffered anxiety for most of my life. But when I said yes to Jesus and I made my peace with my heavenly father, I knew that I'd come home. You know, I might be sharing my story up here today, but this is my miracle Once I was lost and now I am found. Once I was blind and now I can see that sin might have written me into this mess, but by God's grace through Jesus, my life was turned around 180 degrees. And the question that I wanted to ask my answered my whole life of what is my purpose, where do I belong, and what am I here for, and who am I, got answered in one simple prayer. I knew who I was. I was a daughter of the king. I knew where I was going. My Bible tells me he's got a plan and purpose for my life, and that I belong to the family of God, that I never had to be lonely again. You know, my parents' pursuit for me helped me in one way, but God's pursuit for me saved my life. You know, so many people say, well, I found God. Well, no, they didn't because God wasn't lost. He found us. And I believe that there's some lost people in the room where God is saying he wants to find you tonight and he wants you to find yourself in him. And just as I wrap it up, I'm going to finish with a few quick things here. I was so passionate when I got saved. I had a genuine conversion. I mean, I was baptised in the water. I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. I began to ring home and I began to tell my parents, Jesus saved me. Mum and Dad, you wouldn't believe it, but he's forgiven me. And you know he can forgive you too. My parents were so concerned, they got on a plane and flew down to Esperance. They wanted to make sure I was okay. 
But when they arrived, the presence of God began to touch their lives. And what the enemy meant for evil by dragging me into drugs and then my whole family, in one moment, God was about to flip it all around. My parents began a journey with the Lord. My sister, my dad found my sister after nine months. One of the first miracles that God did in my life was find my sister and keep her safe. And she went into Teen Challenge in Melbourne and gave her heart to the Lord. And I started to realise that our God is a God of miracles. And the enemy might be after families, but let me tell you, God loves families more than Him. And if you would just surrender your life and your family, let me tell you, mums and dads in here, if you've got a prodigal, don't you give up praying. There's something about prodigals that knows their way home to the Father. You keep praying, amen, and don't you give up. You know, my performance mentality was not going to help my sin and rebellion. That was only going to happen when I gave full permission to God to come into my life. Not based on rules and regulations, cans and can'ts. But come on, let's just keep going into the presence of God. And if you've got trauma in your life here today, let me tell you there is nothing more powerful than the Word of God to address some of those deep grooves of trauma in your mind. When you start to hunger and thirst and get this Word in you, you watch your life change so quickly and so thoroughly. I found my voice again through prayer and worship. And God began to put a great dream in my heart. And He said, I'm going to use your story to help other people. Proverbs 29, 18 says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they're the most blessed. We were saved from something to something. He saved us to send us to become agents of change. I took that phone call after I started sharing my story in schools. I met my husband, had my babies wrote my books. My book ended up in the prison. And someone said this to me. They said, choose to see each one of those prisoners, those broken, addicted, homeless, desperate people as created in God's image. And though the layers of defeat and addiction and pain and abuse and suffering may hide it very well, that image of Jesus is there deep within them. And as we serve these people, God, as you sent me in and served these women, it was as though I was serving Him. Because in the poor church, we meet Jesus in His most distressing disguise. We started working in the prisons. The work began to grow. We went on to see massive things in there. You know, these women, most of them have been sexually and physically abused, 71% from domestic violent backgrounds, 81% drug and alcohol addicted, 67% are mothers. Every one of these statistics is somebody's mother, somebody's sister, somebody's story. The image of Jesus in the brokenness of these people. We set up a not-for-profit. We began to fundraise. We've had over 1,500 enrolments into our programs. 
We've given over 3,000 Christmas gifts thanks to Pastor Sue and, and just for her to the female prisons across the state. We partner with the government to create a mentoring program which has an 89% success rate. We stepped into having a church and our response now became this, is not just God, will you save us and send us, but Lord, what is it that you require? From Micah 6, 8, do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. We have a big food ministry now. We've given away 3,500 meals and hampers since January this year. And the doors to help people in our city continue to open. And the scripture that I'm going to finish with tonight is Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I thank God every day for my second chance and every opportunity that I get to bring glory to His name for rescuing me out of that pit of hell and putting my feet upon the solid rock is always an opportunity to give thanks and to give praise and give honour where honour is due to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to sing. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.